but to open up, I have to give you the opening code because this goes till 2.30. So panelists, you have an hour and 15 minutes almost to, um, to use at your discretion. Uh, and the opening code will be 6493B. That's a little bit simpler. 6493B. So we have four panelists today. Actually, Renee, if you want to say anything, I don't know exactly what your title is, but um, our, our panelists are Brian Daniels, who is the executive director of the New York State Commission for the Blind. And I believe you've been director for, what, 13 years? Oh, you got that right, Gene. Well, I remember Tom's retirement party. <laughs> give them all a hand as we open this panel and I'm going to turn the mic over to them and thank you Jean for uh, for that so thank you. good afternoon everybody this is Brian Daniels hey Ms. Lyons how are you good to see you um, thank you so much Jean for um, inviting me um, I am the um, director of the New York State Commission for the Blind, and I am particularly um, honored um, to share um, this moment with um, Nancy and Sylvia and Sarah. So let me give you a few ideas about what we do here in New York, um, how we serve older blind with our older blind grant and with supplemental money. Um, in this state, we call it ALP also known as the Adaptive Living Program. And what ALP is, is a comprehensive package of rehabilitation um, services. Um, these include social casework, low vision services, mobility, and vision rehabilitation therapy. It also includes an assessment which will yield goals for the individual. So some statistics, if, how many people here are in New York State for the first time? All right, welcome to our Empire State. Um, and I know from um, my limited travels around the country um, that many people from out of New York think of New York City as New York State. But, we, but Rochester right here is the third biggest city um, in the state. 
And we have millions and millions and millions and millions of people in all sorts of geography, in urban settings, the biggest city in the country, in cities like this, in smaller cities, towns, villages, and lots of rural territory. So if you imagine what New York State could be like just in terms of service delivery, and you're talking about our program, which is serves people 55 and older not seeking an employment goal with those array of services with 16 private agencies delivering these services across the state. Now in your mind, think about how many people in a state like New York we might serve in a year. Now, as you think about that, I'll give you a, another idea here. There are approximately, we would estimate, 120,000 people or so in New York State. 120,000 or so people in New York State who would be eligible for our services in any given year of all ages. And our commission serves um, people who are blind from cradle to grave. So if you consider how many people would be potentially eligible for our services, we serve 3,700 people statewide. We'd like to serve even more. Last year, we received um, $1.9 million from the Rehab Services Administration, and that wouldn't even come close to serving the population that we need to serve with the Older Blind Grant. We're very thankful in New York State to have supplemental dollars um, and for very good advocacy. Um, we have received some money to supplement that, but we recognize that um, we're dealing with rising costs and everything, and our $600,000 a year that we um, apply to this as well needs even more help. So what do you think we need to do here? We need to apply our Social Security reimbursements. So for everybody who is successfully employed for nine months through our services, we receive the value of the services back from the Social Security Administration from Washington. And last year, we were able to supplement the services with another $1.4 million. So we, in addition to that federal older blind grant, we have to double our money um, to be able to afford serving 3,700 people. Now, we're very, very grateful to our partners like Visions and ABVI Goodwill here in Rochester. Um, each year, 47 full-time equivalents from these agencies, these 16 agencies, are delivering these services. And why are we grateful? <laughs> if I tell you this statistic, we have 125 people on our staff in the Commission for the Blind, and we have 1.75 full-time equivalents. That's not even 2% of our commission staff that are devoted to these services. So Nancy and Sarah have such good stories, I think, to tell about their experiences delivering services here under our contract in New York. I bet you would guess that the most common um, way to, um, through our doors, are doctor referrals, followed by self-referral, and then referral by family members. We spend close to $400,000 a year on low, di low vision devices and aids. 
and about uh, and out of that money, another one point six million dollars is um, indirect service. Um, the largest age range that we serve, 55 and older, and we have 33 people last year who were 100 or older that we served. Yeah, absolutely, which is close to, one, not far from 1% of that population. But imagine, the largest number in any age range that we capture is 85 to 89. Wow. You might also not be surprised by the next two, two statistics. Two-thirds are female, one-third male. And the greatest cause of vision loss for this population is age-related yep, age macular degeneration. Absolutely. But partners like Visions and ABVI Goodwill here, um, they're innovative. I know that ABVI had a grant um, from the Lavelle Fund um, last year, too, to deliver services um, in groups. Um, so perhaps you can hear a little bit about that. Um, some agencies are beginning the services um, without our funding um, to introduce people who are not legally blind, 55 and older, who might be vision impaired. Lots of outreach that we rely on our um, contractor agencies to do, and we very, very much appreciate that. And you know what? Blindness is a disability of aging. We all know that. Yet we struggle in this country and we struggle in this state um, for funding that we need. It's not even 10% of our budget, but you know what the percentage of older blind Americans are um, here. So, you know, we got a lot of catching up to do with our money, um, hopefully, and um, one day, um, and hopefully in the not-too-distant future, with very good, strong advocacy, we'll get some um, needed money in our system. You may have noticed, too, that um, I did not mention technology services. Those are provided in very, very limited, um, innovative ways. Um, our commission does not have the expectation that our funding go particularly for technology services. Um, I just turned 57 years old. If I wasn't working and I lost my vision, I, I think the first thing I'd want to do is get back on that computer and email my family and know how to keep in touch. Um, maybe even before um, I would avail myself from some of the other services um, that we offer as well. So. Oh, just to my face, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay, I appreciate that. This much, must be much better, as I want to make sure that I give time to my co-panelists as well. Um, I did prepare, um, and I would be happy to return um, to talk about anything, but some of the um, success stories that we've had in the state of New York that we report every year um, to the feds um, that we are very, very proud of. Um, New York, in so many ways, is a robust state. We lead the nation in many of the key result areas. And again, that really has to do with the partners that we have here today and the more than dozen other partners that we have across the state who deliver these services for us every day. Um, others know better how it's delivered in other states. Um, we think we have it going well here. 
Um, we recognize, though, we recognize with diminishing funding and increasing costs, we have to continue to be innovative absent of new funds here in New York. So I hope that those who um, do not live in New York, um, what you will bring home with you is that while we struggle um, in some ways um, with service providers in terms of having enough service providers for some of these and we report this to the RSA every year. I hope you'll take with us that our services ultimately um, are very, very well received. Our quality assurance um, demonstrates that our service providers are, demonst are, are have demonstrated outstanding service to our service participants. And so I am very pleased to turn it over um, to Nancy Miller. Thank you, Brian. <coughs> um, I'm going to speak um, both as the CEO of a nonprofit vision rehabilitation agency, Visions, but also as the volunteer president of the New York Vision Rehabilitation Association. And I'm very proud to say that ACB is a member of the New York Vision Rehab Association. We call it NIVRA. And Lori Scharf, who many of you know, uh, who's involved in this conference, is on our board of directors. Um, so I'll be speaking as the CEO of Visions for 32 years and as the founding president of the New York Vision Rehabilitation Association. Um, we can share many different numbers with you. Uh, Brian shared the estimate from the New York State Commission for the Blind of approximately 120,000 eligible individuals of all ages. If you look at the American Community Survey, which is not asking the question, are you legally blind, but ask the question, it's part of the census, it's every year, and it asks the question, do you have difficulty seeing or reading regular print even wearing glasses, or are you blind? And if you look at that number in New York State, it's about 400,000. So that's the number of people who potentially, progressively, may become legally blind, or in many cases, may be legally blind but have not been diagnosed. Brian mentioned the referral sources, and unfortunately in New York and in many other states around the country, ophthalmologists and optometrists do not refer into the blindness system. Now, you heard Mark talk about the B word, you can talk about visually impaired, you can talk about low vision, you could talk about people who have difficulty seeing. But here in New York, the New York State Commission for the Blind serves legally blind people. And we find that the ophthalmologists and optometrists are not referring the numbers that we know exist of legally blind people, and especially of legally blind older persons. Why? If you get diagnosed as legally blind, people are worried they're gonna lose their driver's license. Well, well, they should. If you're, <laughs> but they worry. And 
And especially in many rural areas, it's the only way that people can get around. And so there's a fear that if they go to the eye doctor and they get diagnosed, they're going to lose the one way they have of getting around. There's also a fear of blindness. And Mark referred to it, and we all know it, that people will use every euphemism possible until it gets to the point where they can't function anymore. And they may use the word blind, or they may use something else, but they come into our system when they've exhausted every other resource, and they're forced to admit that they really can't manage with the impaired vision that they have. And so often, it's five to seven years from the time that someone actually experiences functional vision before they get to one of our 16 OIB, older individuals who are blind programs, or 18 agencies that also serve people seeking employment. So we have a lot of work to do in awareness that blindness is not something to fear. It's something to adjust to. And knowing ACB and all my friends in ACB, um, you have the answers from a peer point of view of how to adjust. But if we don't get people into our system, they're not going to get the knowledge and the experience that you have to share. So it is a chicken and egg. There are a lot of people out there who can benefit from our services. But then we get to the question of, is there enough money? And Brian was very honest. And you know, government employees can't always be honest. Sometimes they have to communicate a certain message. We're very fortunate in New York to have an associate commissioner and a director of the commission who is absolutely honest about what we can and can't do. And looking at not just the money that we spend, but the impact that we have. And New York State was one of the very first agencies to actually have outcome funding, meaning that it used to be an agency would get paid for the number of hours of service. Now we only get paid if the older individuals who was blind achieves their goal. That's a huge shift. And there are many other states that still do not have outcome funding. They have to follow the RSA guidelines and they have to follow the required reporting. But our entire system since 1984 has been based on if you as an older blind person don't learn what you need or what you think you need to be independent, then the person teaching you doesn't get paid. I think that's a great way of making sure that all of the people involved are aligned, the commission, the private agency providing the service, and the older consumer who is looking to be as independent as possible. But there isn't enough money in our system, not just because the OIB program, as Mark rightfully said, you know, had a big influx in the 1990s, but we're now 20 years later, 30 years later, and the money has not increased. New York State has been extremely creative 
in using the Social Security reimbursement, in using the state match, and in using state dollars that are contributed directly from the state towards services for older blind individuals and a small pot of money that go to children that do not yet qualify for the VR program, which in New York is age 10. We're very unusual in that we can use VR dollars starting at age 10 instead of age 14. And that was because of the great advocacy under Brian and his staff uh, to be one of two states that start their vocational rehab services at 10. So what actually does our program do? I, I can give you some amazing examples, but just some quick ones. Um, a sculptor who teaches at a very prestigious university who is blind, has been sculpting for years as a blind person, has been teaching for years as a blind person, and all of a sudden his university changed the grading system to a computer program that he couldn't access. And he was going to have to give up teaching in his 80s. Well, through our VR program, we were able to give him the training he needed in the computer technology. We were able to give him some additional mobility training so he can get through the um, hallways of the university. And he continued teaching well in his 90s. Now, that's the VR program. What if this was somebody who was not working? So the OIB program is for older blind people who are not specifically saying, they're not articulating that they want to work. They're basically saying, I'm not looking to be employed, but I'd like to be independent. So we're serving over 1,500 people a year at Visions who are older, blind people who are interested in being more independent. Now, our program doesn't pay for technology. So how do we handle it? We applied for and were funded to be a senior center in New York City. That money comes from the aging network, not from the blindness network. We are serving close to 800 people at the senior center right now, but it is completely adapted and accessible for people who are blind to use it and also to be instructors. So there was an older blind person that I've known for years who went through our OIB program. She's partially deaf. She's almost totally blind. She's been a dancer her whole life. And she thought her career was over. But she loved to dance and loved to teach. And so we encouraged her, and she became a volunteer at our senior center and didn't think about vocational rehab. She said, I'm in my 70s. That's about it for me. Well, lo and behold, we got funded for the senior center, and we were able to add some paid instructors. And I went to Marion, and I said, Marion, you know what? You've been a volunteer. I can pay you now. And she has a class of blind seniors who she, as a blind instructor, are teaching every dance, not only the Lindy and the Foxtrot and uh, dances that 
I know my mother used, but dances of today, all the line dances and all the dances that you dance at weddings and bar mitzvahs and communions and all the celebrations. And she is now a paid employee. So the older blind program we see has the potential of giving older blind people the independent living skills that give them the confidence and the interest and the ability to stay involved and stay active. And you never know when that involvement could turn into a part-time or full-time paid employment. So we see the OIB program is not only serving the population that's looking for independent living skills, but also could potentially help a younger blind population that are only in their late 50s or early 60s to rejoin the labor force and become VR clients because there is no age limit. You can be a VR client at 100 as well if you have a good plan for employment that actually is going to enable you to, to find work. But there isn't enough money in the system. So NIVRA is advocating with ACB and with many of the private agencies to give the information, the ammunition, as, as Mark calls it, the rationale for why we need more money invested by New York State, because we do not see the federal government investing more money in the OIB program in the near future. And the only way we're gonna increase the dollars is to get New York State to say, we need to invest more of our money. Back in the 1980s, New York State contributed about $4 million towards services for older people who were non-VR and for children. Now New York State contributes about $1 million to that pot. So our ask, and this is always the, the question, how much are you asking for and how many people are you gonna serve? Our ask is to just restore to the $4 million that this will not only enable us to serve some additional older persons who are on wait lists now, but most importantly to us, we wanna be able to add some assistive technology training so that older blind people can learn how to use their smartphones better, can learn how to download applications, can learn uh, whatever they need to learn for basic, assistive computer technology, because that is the way the world communicates now. And if you don't know how to use email, and you don't know how to download an application, you're really missing out on all of the opportunities that are out there. So we have a specific ask. We're working on a position paper, which we've told the commission, and we've told their oversight agency in New York, which is the Office of Children and Family Services. The commissioner knows we're making this ask. She's asked us for a one-pager, and we are preparing it, and we'll have it ready in August. And then our advocacy, some people call it lobbying, will take place in earnest 
and try to get New York State in its next year, which starts in January, to add additional funds to the Commission for the Blind so that we can serve more older individuals who are blind and we can serve more people who currently are in wait lists. We can't do it without additional funds. Brian talked about the, the huge investment that New York State is already making and the federal dollars, but most of the private agencies are literally only getting paid 50 cents on the dollar, meaning we may get reimbursed by the commission for $1,000 or $1,500 to serve an older blind person, but we're spending, in many cases, double that amount to get to the outcome that somebody has actually achieved all the goals they want in independent living and mobility, in adjusting to their blindness, in managing their household, whatever their skills and goals were. And there's only so much subsidy that a nonprofit private agency can make when the costs of providing the service are going up so dramatically. I'll just mention one other program, and I, I really believe that we cannot just rely on the blindness network in order to serve older people who happen to be blind. They are older people. And the aging network has to take more responsibility for providing services that are accessible, that are targeted, and that are the services that older blind people are seeking and you know, want to be uh, involved with. And I'll give you one example. Uh, Visions was able to get funding from the Area Agency on Aging for something called the Unpaid Caregiver Support Project. That means that any person, unpaid, family, friend, neighbor, interested person, who is helping to care for an older person with special needs is eligible to be part of the Unpaid Caregiver Support Program. In Vision's case, we're serving 750 unpaid caregivers caring for an individual who is at least 60 years of older. Amongst the population we serve, many of the caregivers are blind and their spouses are generally husbands who have Alzheimer's disease or have other um, types of chronic conditions that require some significant caregiving. Now this funding is not for blindness, but we were able to access the funding by convincing our local area agency on aging, it's called the AAA, that there was a significant population of care recipients who were blind and caregivers who were blind, and that it needed a program that would make everything accessible to them. All the outreach is accessible. All the information is accessible. You tell us the format you want the information, we give it to you in that format. And we're doing the outreach where blind people are. We're doing it through the local chapters of ACB, through the library, through the vision rehab agencies, 
In fact, we get a lot of referrals from the other vision rehab agencies in New York City that you might consider competitors, but they refer to our caregiver support project because they don't get that funding. The commission pays for the blind person. They don't pay for the service for their family. And so we have to seek out other sources because you and I know if your family isn't supporting your independence, it's gonna be very hard for you to be independent. And if we can get that funding through the aging network and the best part of that funding there's one line item, you know, it's always the devil's in the details. It says, other than personnel services, and that line item can pay for everything that the Commission for the Blind can't pay for. So there are pieces of equipment that the OIB program could not possibly afford, devices, software, Yes, some of it is related to physical illness, you know, adult diapers and emergency alert systems, but we're able to use that one line item of funding to supplement the monies that are so limited under the older blind program. So I, I strongly believe, and I think Mark alluded to it, that we can squeeze out as much money as possible from the federal government and from state government for the older individuals who are a blind program, what we call ALP in New York State. But if we don't look to other funding networks, we are never going to be able to meet the need. And the nonprofit agencies, even with unrestricted dollars, the donations we get that don't say, you know, use it wherever it's needed, we don't have enough money in our system to cover all the needs and all the costs. So ACB can be instrumental, and they already are, in being a part of the Vision Serve Alliance, aging and vision loss coalition that's formed, so that we can begin to look at not only what we need to advocate for at the federal level, but to give some blueprints to get partners at the state level to get more states to invest in their older blind programs beyond the very limited and never increasing dollars that are coming from the federal government. Thank you. Very noisy next door. Good afternoon. I'm not a mic user, so I'll do my best here to stay little. Oh, wow. Okay. We're going to be close. Okay. So I'm Sarah Van Bortle from ABVI Local. Louder. Okay. Sarah Van Bortle from ABVI. The Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. We've been in uh, the Rochester area for over 100 years. I can't do the math, but we're, we're approaching 120. Um, we provide vision rehab services that are funded by New York State, as well as have um, our mission dollars, which come f largely from our Goodwill stores, as well as our own manufacturing and um, sewing divisions 
to fund our programs. I don't have any real specific remarks, although I was going to follow up on uh, the Laval funding that we recently received, which is for individuals who don't yet meet the classification of legal blindness, but are older, over 55, and struggling with some sort of vision loss. Um, we offer a training program through Lavelle that allows us to offer education and support and resources, as well as some teaching, which is done by an occupational therapy aide. So she's not an OT, but she's an OTA. And we bring folks in for four weeks for six hours a day, five hours a day, once a week. So, and the companionship and the education and sometimes they bring their caregivers with them or family members and we try to open up to that as well. These are individuals that are, as uh, someone said, scared of the B word. Um, they're really fearful. They don't know where to go or what to, to look for. Um, they may not want to be seen as someone with a visual impairment or low vision. And opening that door, we've gotten some amazing feedback on the importance of it, on the value of it, um, the socialization piece, meeting someone else who's in your circumstances and widening that circle can be huge. Um, and we hope to take that on the road to the other counties because we serve Monroe, but there's also some rural counties. We serve seven of them. Um, and we're hoping to bring the services and those programs to Wayne County and Ontario and maybe even Steuben, um, which feels like it's way out there. Because we know there's individuals in those communities living with vision loss and we want to try to reach them. I think um, just as a very quick summary, our biggest obstacles are uh, the cost of transportation, um, ever-changing technology, and helping individuals afford those low vision devices that might assist them so that they can use their remaining vision for whatever their goals may be. Um, that's where the mission part of Goodwill comes in. And uh, as Nancy said, we subsidize 50% of those service costs with our own mission dollars through development or grants or some other funding um, to try to continue to serve people. Renee, you have anything to say? I wasn't a panelist. <laughs> I know, but you're here. I love the way Mark said that, you know, it's like, oh, my blind son, but, you know, they can relate to the, the larger print and, you know, but they don't see themselves as blind. There's the people who are born blind, people who progressively lose sight, but that population is going to be the bulk of it. It's going to, the legally blind are going to double by 2030. And those are the people we need advocating that help, that be part of groups like you guys, because power is in numbers. So we can want all these things and services and all this funding, but if people aren't pushing for it and don't know these resources exist and don't align themselves with these groups, that's where the issues, you know, that's where, that's where it lies. So we want to see groups like this that help reach out, but we want to stop isolating those people. They're in isolation if they don't see themselves as visually impaired. And the ophthalmologists are not referring, so we keep seeing that as a So how do we do that? How do we reach out to those folks? 
Um, and that's where we're, that's where, where we're at. But you can just see the attitude we've been talking about. I've been in the agency for 22 years. I've seen a lot of people who are losing vision in that same um, process that they're going through. And it is, it's a journey. Nobody wakes up saying, hey, I'm blind, I'm okay with it. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to be independent. <laughs> right? You learn those blindness skills. Those of us who have been blind a long time, we're darn good at it because we've been doing this a long time. Someone who is 65, my mom, who's 79, just got diagnosed with macular degeneration. Now, no one in my family, I'm blind, but nobody in my family has any type of vision loss. Her own doctor didn't even tell her that macular degeneration is a vision condition that you lose your sight from. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, you know? So, and then I know those referrals aren't coming. And she has a lot of vision right now still, but she doesn't even understand her future. And I think a lot of people are those in those situations. Yeah, but they're not over. And oh, yeah. we're here to, yeah, exactly, right? So we're here to, you know, to, to keep that dream alive, to tell people, you can do the same things you used to do. Yeah. We're just going to do them in a different way. And we have to help them believe in themselves. And just from talking to those groups that come in, our new skills, new vision, um, who are legally blind, or our guard abuse, who are visually impaired, not yet legally blind, you can see how hard they are on themselves. They're using negative terminology. It's my handicap, I could never learn to do that. My children need to take over my, my budgeting, you know, my banking. You don't need to do that. You just need to be empowered. That's what hopefully we're trying to do. But us as advocates, and they think, oh, you know, those are for somebody else to do. Advocates do advocacy. No, people do advocacy. All of us can do advocacy, and we need to be empowered to do that. So that's what we want to help, you know, show our folks. Them that they, what they can do. And groups like this, you guys are amazing. Keep up the good work. Keep up that advocacy efforts. And keep spreading the word that the, what you do and what, you know, you don't just be blind. You go through all vision loss. So thank you for letting me add that. Well, what's so, your magic for bringing those people in? <laughs> well, there you go. So that's a discussion that's an ongoing thing, trying to educate ophthalmologists to refer, 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 you know, we, we can, I think a lot of times if they can't medically treat it, it's a failure to them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. there we go. That's not even just ophthalmologist, that's every doctor. You're right, you're, you're right. right. They can't fix you. Yeah. So we have one more, one more panelist, and then I think we will have time for discussion and, and Q&A. Sylvia. Okay. Well, hi, everyone. I um, have been listening carefully to Mark and, and um, Nancy and Sarah and Renee. Did I miss anybody? And Brian. And I am going to bring a little bit of a national perspective, I think. And I will preface by saying I was actually a private um, agency director for 10 and a half years and uh, worked in an agency before that. So I did lots of direct services. I'm, I myself am blind. And um, in January, I went to work uh, as the director of the Older Blind Technical Assistance Center, which means we provide technical assistance and training to all 56 states and territories that belong to the United States and receive funding through the Older Blind Program um, from RSA. There are 56, so 50 states and six territories, and there are 56 different ways people do things. <laughs> one, of the, one of the big challenges I have discovered is it's not easy to find our services. 
If you lose your vision or you get a macular degeneration diagnosis, it is not easy to find our services. So they could be, you know, usually you can find commission for the blind. A lot of places are called commission for the blind. But it could be under Department of Labor, Department of Education, Health and Human Services. Uh, what was that one? Y'all are under Child and Family Services. God only knows where you're going to find it in that big long list of state agencies. Then we go to private agencies. There's Lighthouses. There's Visions. There's AbbVie. There's... Vision Forward. There's a million different names. How the heck do you know where to find us and our services? That's a huge, huge issue that we need to start addressing and figuring out how can we create some kind of way that really a marketing strategy where people can actually find us. That's a big thing. Services are not consistent nationally. And so I think it's also important to say there is what, um, and I think Brian talked a little bit about how um, funding is structured, but there's, there are places that get what's called a minimum allotment. So they get $225,000 a year. That's it. To provide all services to older blind, $225,000. Territories get $40,000. They can't even hire someone. Most programs that have older blind programs, um, and I bet that, well, you only have 1.75 here, Brian, but most have, um, they're doing multiple caseloads. They don't even have, if they, if the ones that don't even contract out services, if their state agency is providing those services, they're trying to work with multiple caseloads. So they're trying to work with children and teens. They're trying to work with VR. They're trying to work with older blind. Guess who gets served last? Right. More than 50% of people who get services through the older blind services get less than 10 hours of service. Less than 10 hours of service. It, it is. It breaks my heart every, every time I see terrible services. And it's not the people giving terrible service. It, they're doing their best, but they can only do what they can do. And it's a funding issue, as has been very well said. We've got to find a way to increase the funding. And I think that's where groups like ACB come in. Well, there are two things you can do. And I get to follow Mark tomorrow, I realized, on the general session. But there are two things you can do, and you'll hear me say this again tomorrow. Number one, help us get the word out that services exist. Go to your local organizations. Become part of your community. Um, join your senior center. Try to get your senior center to become accessible and to let them know, you know, to make sure that they invite people from organizations like Visions and Avi, et cetera, to talk about the services that are available to people so people will know. And you are the best candidates for getting out there because when you only have a couple people in your organization to provide those services, Community outreach is not the first thing that comes to mind. You want to be providing direct service. And so 
we need people to get out there and spread that word. And the other thing you can do, and I know that ACB works strongly on this at the, at the national level, is help in, your, in, in each of your states. There are organizations, well, I think, maybe not in each, <laughs> but maybe you can help get them going. Like Nancy was talking about the New York uh, Vision Rehab Agency, uh, where it's a group of people who come together to advocate for not only funding, but for policies like voting rights and all those different things. So become part of your, your state organization and, and help promote services. So that was really all I wanted to say because everything else was said. <laughs> oh, so I will talk about one other thing, and this is related to funding, is there's a huge personnel shortage and I'm going to talk about this again tomorrow, too, because, you know, there's just not enough professionals in our field. Mark mentioned that, less than 4,000. Just of, of CVRT, Certified Vision Rehabilitation Therapists, it's just like 650, 650 in the whole country. And I'm one of those, and I'm not working in direct service, so I don't even count. And I know a bunch of others who don't count because we don't work in direct service. So there's a huge shortage. And I'm gonna, I'll t I might share this story tomorrow, but I was in a state a couple weeks ago, and there were 30, 30 or so professionals in the room who provide uh, mobility and assistive technology and case management and all those services. One was visually impaired. Uh. Now, but wait. They have tried to recruit people who are visually impaired. And I asked what their challenges were, because that's one of the things that we do in technical assistance. We try to help figure out what their challenges are and how can we help address those. Almost everyone in that room said, we wish we had some colleagues who were visually impaired. A long time ago, we had plenty. And we just don't have them anymore. They said, we really loved having them because they provided the knowledge base that we didn't have. We might have gotten certain things in our education, but there were things that sometimes we run into people, we go, ooh, I don't know what to do with that, right? But us as blind people, we know. <laughs> well, we are just creative and figure it out. And they said they really miss that. They miss having the people who could provide the peer support, the, 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 the counseling. So that's on us. What's the average salary of somebody who works in that um, Yeah, it depends on the state, depends on the profession. I've heard as low as the 20s up to the 70s. Um, I mean, it, it just, it, it, it depends, and it depends on your education, et cetera. But we're not attracting people into the field. We're not. To the we're, we're not. I mean, I think we can't afford to either because, you know, if you only get, let's just go with a minimum allotment state, you get $225,000. And a lot of that funding goes to purchase product, you know, purchase devices for people. Right. Well, that's the other elephant in the room. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. Universal mm -hmm. service. But we also need to do, and this is something that ACB, we have been trying and trying and trying, and I don't know what we need to do that moving forward, is to get Medicare to reimburse for devices. Agreed. I'd like to mention a program that we have in Massachusetts that's been working. Should we give her one of our private nonprofit agencies started a program where people who um, are 
have become volunteer trainers um, for others. And um, we've had a lot of seniors that have gone that have never had an iPhone in their hand and maybe just wanted to make a phone call and text their grandson or whatever and have, have been able to progress. And um, it's, it's been a really good model. We've used the Senior Center and also the um, Mass Association for the Blind uh, headquarters. Um, the Senior Center, good because some of the people were already going there and it didn't seem as blind specific to them, you know, yeah. just to be in the Senior Center. But it's been a good model and um, it certainly doesn't address the needs and it doesn't address them buying the technology. Yeah, that's the other question. So that's the, that's the question. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna add to something you're saying. Um, so, as part of the Older Life Technical Assistance Center, one of the roles I see is helping to find, because funding, we don't really, I mean, I think we'd be dreaming if we thought RSA was gonna go, oh, I'm gonna just lay on you $54 million more dollars. Probably not gonna happen anytime soon. So being creative is, is a really, like you're saying, being creative is really, really important. So one of the things I think that the Older Blind Technical Assistance Center has to do is find what is working really well. Because there are some, like you're saying, some fantastic things, and I actually have heard of that. So there are some great, great, great things. How can we help everyone know about the great things and duplicate those, replicate those kind of great things? So... We do. It's the Chapter 2 listserv, and, and I can give you all um, um, our website, or you can, e you can email me, or e I'll make it real easy. Info at OIB, for older individuals who are blind, dash, like a hyphen, T-A-C dot org. OIB, uh, info at OIB dash tac dot org. But what I was, info at oib-tac.org. And uh, you, can, you can even just address it to me because I'm one of the three people it comes to. But one of the things we're going to be doing is starting this year, we're going to be hosting our own little conference. And I have 36 states and 36 different states and territories coming in together into one room for three days. Uh, it's in Minneapolis, and uh, but 36 different states and territories, and I am going to pick their brains about best practice, because just like you're saying, I want to know who is doing the best stuff for the best price, and how can we start replicating that? How can we get those words out? How can we help people partner with different organizations in their community? And, and so I, I have to tell you, as I travel around the country, I hear ideas and I go, oh, my God, that's a great idea. Let me write that down. And then I get to the next state and I go, hey, you know, you should do this. And I, then I seem brilliant. Okay, I'm going to pass it on then. New York, for New York, um, do you, do you, is it all, do you contract services with, uh, and if so, Oh, let's get the mic here. That's a good idea. Uh, do you do you do you in New York uh, contract out for uh, elderly blind services at all? And I'm especially wondering if you do any contracts with uh, centers for independent living. 
absolutely. Um, we do have um, non-older blind contracts with ILCs, absolutely. And um, to give you a little bit more background, that 1.75 FTEs um, are largely coordinating from a central post right outside of Albany, um, helping to steer traffic, <laughs> so to speak, and make referrals. Um, we receive um, eye reports from doctors declaring individuals legally blind, and if and when they come to us, that can also be a very good source of referral. Um, also, with our private agencies, our contractor agencies doing outreach, in many cases, um, the referral will come directly from some source into that agency. And I will dare say that with the exception of one counselor, none of our 50 or so counselors across the state know any of these individuals um, personally receiving services unless something goes um, terribly wrong, so to speak, which it doesn't happen in New York State. It really doesn't. And um, as I had mentioned before, our quality assurance program is very important to continue to monitor. And the only issues we ever find in the state are um, sometimes that the proof of el eligibility is lacking from the file. That's the worst issue that we deal with, and that's that's not too common. Can I speak for a second? Um, this is Jean Mann. I live in Albany, and I I don't well. When I moved into a independent senior housing, they insisted that I have the area association for the blind come out and give me some services. And I didn't really, I didn't want them. I didn't felt, feel I needed them. But actually, um, they did come out and they did things like mark my washer and dryer because they're, you know, dials. And they marked my, my, the burners, not the burners, but the knobs on my flat top stove, which I never use because I don't like flat top stoves. And they, they brought me things like, a, you know, a watch and alarm clock and things like that. And they also um, offered me um, mobility training, I'm not training so much, but orientation around um, my building, which I really didn't take partly because I had a broken foot and partly because I didn't feel I needed it, but it was there if I wanted it. And they, I've seen them do that with um, other people who have um, vision issues in our building. Now, unfortunately, uh, there are some people with, I don't know if they're declared legally blind, but they certainly are visually impaired. And they decided to have a little group one day, and they asked me to come. And every suggestion I made, every, every offer I made, they had, oh, well, I figured out I can do this. Or, you know, I figured out, you know, they all had their own ways of figuring things out, or they thought they did. So they really weren't interested in, I don't know what they wanted. They really weren't interested in, in, in talking to somebody who, you know, been dealing with this all her life. Um, they they just found their own ways or didn't you know but but they I know that the association here in Albany at least or in Albany does offer some senior service it's not a lot but it's just enough to kind of get you get you started and maybe they offer more services if you need more services I don't know but they really wanted me to take them so I took them. <laughs> I have a, question. Yeah, we have a hand up in the back. Yes, I'm coming to you. Thank you, Nancy. I can. Hi, my name is Kathy Lyons. I'm from Buffalo, New York, 
and I wanted to share a, an experience with you. I was recently introduced to a 78-year-old totally blind woman with diabetes who was residing in a nursing home. And you say, why? I mean, most of the people in this room would say, why? That's not a reason to be in a nursing home. Well, about five years ago, she was in a place, got her foot tangled in a sheet, fell out of bed and broke her hip. So then she needed the rehab, but not now. So I, with a friend of hers, advocated to get her out of the nursing home and into assisted living. Now, um, it turns out that the rehab teachers cannot, I don't know if it's cannot or will not, but I plan to find out, they don't go into the nursing home. Whose rule is that? Ah, okay. Well, wait, wait a minute. Just answer that question. Oh, okay. Um, and what I wanted. I'll promise. Okay. I'll bring you back okay. the mic. <laughs> yep. It seems in that case it was possible we could deliver services um, if an individual, if the services are there, um, so that the individual can be lo relocated to a lesser restrictive environment then we absolutely do come in and deliver those services to the nursing homes or other institutions. So the staff that were at our local, it's called, get this, Olmstead Center for Sight. <laughs> I was not consulted when they changed that name. But anyway, they, on June 19th, 2019, we moved her from the nursing home into assisted living, and now they can go in and give her the services. But they were, would not, I don't know, would not, could not go into the nursing home. So, I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> so, but people were saying that the ones that would go into the, to give services have to be licensed. That's why we need licensure. Right, Nancy? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. If we could only get rid of Deborah Blink to one. Yeah. Thanks. Hold on, hold on. Is there anybody who has not and to people. Uh, I'm a retired rehab teacher. So we got a lady, couple of ladies in our church who loosened their vision. I said, I'll come over to your house and, you know, give, give some pointers and, and do some rehab. You know, I could do it. I mean, just free. But she said, well, my daughter does that for me. She's got it all set up and I, you know, I don't need. She said, I moved out of my house to move my daughter's house. And I got another one that's lost her job because of it. No, I'm doing okay. So it is hard to reach out to these people. They Sometimes they don't even want to accept it. And of course this wasn't, you know, I was just doing it. Well, you know, I would not want to accept hearing loss if it were to happen to me. Me neither. You know, and <clears throat> so I think we have to be careful you know, as frustrated, as frustrated as we can be with 
what we consider to be a better way of doing something, um, it may not be for someone. One of the ways in my, I have some seniors in my building, and one of the things that they have accepted, those who are not able to drive anymore, have come to me and talked about paratransit, mm -hmm. and that they will do, because they have to, they have to go somewhere. Invite yourself for coffee at her house. Okay, I'm coming with the mic. And then we'll come to Doug. I can say as she's going to him, my name is Barbara Lombardi, and I'm I'm from Connecticut, and uh, I, I've been listening here, and it, it's all very very impressive and tremendous. I think one of the issues here is educating the medical community as to how to handle, or not handle, well, handle issues, but also how to assist people who are blind or visually impaired. I don't care whether it's going into the office or going into the hospital or whatever. I recently spent four days in the hospital back in April, and, you know, it's just amazing how much um, nurses and practitioners, and I don't care whether they're licensed or not licensed, whatever, uh, absolutely don't know. Uh, I mean, they just about think that you can stand on your feet and walk or, you know, that kind of thing. And you go into a doctor's office and it's, it's just horrific. And I think there needs to be a real revolution, a real education revolution in the medical community, we we need to be talking to people at, you know, the medical conferences and things like that to give them some education. Since you know, statistically, I mean, we all know that blindness uh, and vision loss is certainly going to increase as we um, all get older and that kind of thing. And you know, this this has now become. I mean, when people have to wake up and realize this. Before we give it to Doug for the last question, and by the way, I failed to mention that this not the panel but the luncheon and really the panel as well is co-sponsored by um, our friends at the ACB Rehabilitation Task Force that uh, Doug is chair of, and I want to thank them for co-sponsoring the lunch with us. But my comment was, um, I'm definitely in agreement with what you just said, um, Barbara. And in fact, we could probably learn from our friends in the severely disabled community who have been preaching the need to get away from the medical model and go to the social services model. And the only way to do this is get all the medical folks on board and understanding that the medical model is not so much what we need, and we need, you know, the, the the social services to ensure that we can remain independent. And we haven't really gotten on board to the same degree as some of our brothers and sisters with severe disabilities have in terms of preaching that um, particular dialogue. Yeah, just a little, real quick. Sure. 
So um, coming from a university is a really different kind of perspective. And Nancy put it really well. I'm like Switzerland. Uh, <laughs> because I, I, I have nothing. I, I think um, the medical community realizes I don't have anything to gain. The private agencies, the state. You know, I have nothing to gain. I'm just there. I'm, not, I'm just offering. I don't need to take back. Um, so one of the things that, that um, we started to do, because we have been working with the aging community a lot more uh, because people who are aging with vision loss often have many other challenges going on. And so um, I'm starting to build what we call infographics, their tip sheets, et cetera, that we can share broadly. So one of them recently was um, for senior centers, adapting and accommodating people with vision loss in your senior center. The next one I'm, I'm supposed to work on next week and I'm meeting with bankers how to accommodate people who come into your bank with a visual impairment. Doctors are on my list. <laughs> and uh, this is Nancy Miller again. I do want to mention that um, this week on the 11th, I will be taping a webinar that will be available through the New York State Office for the Aging where we get many of our referrals are through the aging network, actually. Case managers, um, public health nurses, social workers. Um, I'm taping a two-hour session that's just called Aging and Vision Loss. And at the end of the webinar uh, is a list of all the private, nonprofit vision rehab agencies in New York State. Because believe it or not, as much of a collaboration as there is between the State Office of Aging and the Commission for the Blind, they still don't know who to call or what agencies exist. They might know it if they are in that particular county, but so many of us serve multiple counties, and the counties that are furthest away from our headquarters might not even know we're there. So getting the word out to the aging network because they're facing the exact same problem with other types of chronic conditions is the doctor says there's nothing more I can do and it ends there. And the, there's so much more that can be done especially related to vision loss and aging. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, in all this conversation about uh, devices and, and, you know, assistive technology and that kind of thing, I have not heard anything, uh, anybody say anything about the assistive technology system, ATS, that has separate funding to, for, apply, you know, for supplying medical equipment. And uh, at, at least in Virginia, um, they're more than willing to, allow, you know, to allow people um, to, you know, to help people find the assistive technology they need, and and uh, you know, I, I know, you know, they don't pay for all of it, but they, you know, they have uh, associated themselves with a, a low interest loan uh, system. So you know, there, you know, th that's another avenue that I haven't heard anybody talk about. So I was wondering if that's part of your plan, or if, if you know, or what. Um, I believe in New York State, it's called Triad, um, and it's it's. It's an assistive technology um, center that will enable you to both get loans and also connect you with resources. So it's not specifically for people who are blind, it's for any disability. 
Um, and again, a different name in every single state. Right. Really difficult to find. What some states have done and what we do informally in New York is when somebody passes away or when they get a new machine of some kind, they give it back to the nonprofit agency that helped them get it in the first place, and then we lend it to the next person who can't afford to pay for it. So we do have a lot of lending services going on. Um, part of the difficulty is, and, and you all know this as well as I do, is everybody's situation is different. So what worked for Sylvia is not gonna work for Nancy. And you know we can try to help people of low income access the services, but since it's not paid for, through Medicaid or Medicare, uh, and in most cases, private insurance, the only source for the kind of specialized devices that older blind people and older people with legal blindness can use is really through the Commission for the Blind. And the funding is very, very limited. Do you pay for training or do you pay for a device? And, you know, and on top of it, the money has to go to pay for the low vision exam. So part of the money is just passed through to the ophthalmologist or optometrist who's determining what residual vision there is. And then you want to pay for the vision rehab therapists and the mobility and the social casework and the benefits and the counseling. So there isn't much left for devices. So it's a, it's a real gap. It's a huge, huge gap. And as a reminder, Less than $600 a person federally funded. And one last thing too, New York State also has something called the Equipment Loan Fund. So if somebody exhausts all of their options, including Medicaid can't pay for it, Medicare can't pay for it, whatever it may be, they can come to the state also for that. It is a 4% um, loan. Um, which is very affordable to many people. Um, and we have lots of money in that fund. It's one of those things that we need to advertise um, as well. That could also be a help to an ind individual. And younger people who are students also can receive up to $4,000 a year from the state education department to pay for their technology while they're in school as well. And I would be remiss as a lion not talking about the Lions Clubs because they are our last resort. And many Lions Clubs are the ones who will fund a piece of equipment for an individual from their neighborhood or community. So I give the mic back to our fearless leader. All right. Well, let me give you the code, and then we're going to hear a big hand for these panelists of ours. Our closing code is 0656C. 0656C. So, Brian, Nancy, Sarah, Sylvia, what a great panel you were. Weren't these guys outstanding? Again, thank you to Jean for her work in helping to set this up. And so, this is great. So, it is a little after 2.30. We're going to take a break till 2.45 and come back for the business meeting. I think people need a break. All right, we'll see you at 2.45.
my mother would never say she's old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, oh, I'm going to go find my nomination person. Uh, you know, I'm sure I know who's up for election. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> okay, take care. So is part of when they start going into the states, or is it a separate thing? You know, uh, oh, I guess I better get going. So they seem so overextended. That's an interesting extension of their work.
start in two minutes. Two minute warning.
started everyone and we have had a request just before we get to our actual business to hear from um, Paul Schrader who's uh, many of you know since he's been with ACB and AFB and now he's with IRA Wow six years old whoa <laughs> There's an IRA agent somewhere out there. <laughs> anyway, he's with, I don't know his exact title, Government Relations or something like that. Close and Close enough. So I'm going to let him have the mic for a few minutes, and then we'll go to our business meeting. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I mostly just wanted to come in and, and take a few minutes to, to get a couple of ideas or dialogue with you guys. Um, I, I hope everyone knows IRA, basically, uh, smartphone connection to an IRA agent uh, using video uh, streaming video. Uh, to get sighted assistance on demand 24-7 uh, using your smartphone, or of course you can use the IRA Horizon unit. Um, one of the reasons, and I wanted to mention Horizon quickly, because one of the reasons we developed that piece of equipment, it's a glass phone combo, uh, and the phone is uh, dedicated as an IRA control phone, right? So all you, all you can do with it is contact IRA. Um, one of the reasons we developed that was actually to target people who are less likely to use smartphones, and that tends to fall into the older adult world. I wasn't singling you out necessarily, but tends to fall, tends to fall into the older adult category, although not always, uh, who don't necessarily have smartphones or don't like using them. And so that was one of the reasons we, we went down that path. Um, we're starting to talk a lot more to seniors, older adults. I mean, actually, the profile of the IRA Explorer tends to be already an older blind person. Um, Suman gave me this number and I can't remember what he said, but it was something like, I don't know, close to 50% of our explorers are over age 50, which is something along those lines. So it was more than I expected and maybe a little surprising for others given that IRA is kind of a tech forward um, you know, service. Well, I, so I wanted to just kind of pause here and, and get some ideas from you guys who are thinking about uh, uh, older blind individuals in particular what we could be doing to be of relevance to this group. Um, one of the things that I often hear 
is people say, well, I don't travel independently that much uh, since I've lost my sight uh, as an older person. And so IRA, you know, it's for travel, so I don't really need it. And, and of course, we, in, in a way, we created that problem ourselves because IRA isn't really just for navigation. That's a cool use case um, to get around and to hear about things in your environment, both barriers as well as interesting. Um, but it's not in fact, the, the, the things that people are doing with IRA now are not chiefly navigation. There's a lot of home tasks from cooking, crochets, recipes, knitting, uh, to sorting mail, to other kinds of crafts, you name it, people are doing it. Uh, we've had people do origami, and, and you know, so... Um, our agents are, are certainly prepared and happy to assist with anything. The number of people are using IRA at the workplace, uh, as we've, we had a couple of sessions on that on Saturday here at uh, ACB. Um, so I want to stop, and I'd love to just hear if anybody has any thoughts on what we could be doing to try to appeal more to, to older adults. I, I sat in and listened to the prior session, um, and obviously uh, we would be very interested in trying to work more closely with the community agencies and state agencies who are, are serving that population, uh, because we do think IRA provides uh, something that could be very valuable. Thank goodness. Uh, I, I, I really thought something was backing up and was eventually going to... Gonna gonna hit something. <laughs> um, so um, anyway, we'd love to work with with agencies. We'd love to figure out how to work more closely with older adults because we really do think Ira has a the, the fact that you can connect to an agent who is there to be of assistance um, is is a pretty cool thing and a thing that I think a lot of individuals new to vision loss would really find valuable. So let's stop. Stop, and I'll listen to you guys. Yeah, so um, we, it's called Horizon, and we took an Android phone uh, just because it was easy to repurpose. We, we use a Samsung Android phone, and we bought a bunch of them, and we, uh, we have converted those phones to simply be an IRA connection device. So um, this particular Samsung phone happens to have a home button, which is nice, a physical home button, if you're familiar with cell phones. Um, it's got a power button and a volume rocker and then a home button and once you turn it on um, you can access IRA in one of two ways you can double tap the home button and it'll automatically start calling the agent or you can hold tap once or hold tap and hold the button and and say call an agent and it will uh, do that via voice control now that phone connects to our horizon glasses which are a pair of glasses that are designed to be stylish enough. Whether they're stylish, yeah, it's up to the holder. But, um, but they're intended to be glasses that people would be not uncommon or not surprising seeing out in the street. Suman um, said from the, from the moment, you know, our, our founder and CEO, president now, um, said from the moment he started working on those that we wanted to have glasses that looked you know, decent for people who are blind. So, many, so much of the head stuff that we wear uh, is is not particularly uh, attractive or it's kind of unusual looking and that's fine many people don't care but some people do and so the intent was to have glasses that could look uh, fairly fairly stylish uh, so those glasses have a camera dead center right above your nose and there's a cable 
that extends from the right stem back of those glasses. Um, I can show anybody. Uh, I have the glasses. Actually, I left. I just realized I left my phone unit back at the IRA booth. Uh, but I have the glasses here with me if you want to see what those look like. Um, and the glasses connect to the phone. So you can use the phone itself as the phone camera, or you can connect the phone to the glasses and then use it, and it's nice for hands-free um, to connect with Ira that way. And by the way, we are booth 910, right to the right of the first of the door into the exhibit hall. Uh, you'll come by the, the Ira booth. We're right across from the mini mall, so we got a really good spot. The Horizon, uh, we're, we're doing that at 25 a month added on to any of the IRA accounts. Um, so uh, uh, it, it, it actually, it had been the IRA $99 a month account, which is for 120 minutes, is where you could start adding the Horizon. I think we've now said, look, we'll add it to any, including the intro account, which is $29 a month uh, for 30 minutes. And as you hopefully heard Saturday night, we are inaugurating free service, um, a level of free service in the fall uh, for individuals to use IRA who simply have not been able to afford it, uh, and but yet want to be able to have access to the quality service that we provide. So that, that will be available. And we'll be figuring out a plan for people who want to add Horizon uh, in order to use free service. Uh, there will be a pay for, for the hardware, but um, we'll figure something out on that. So if you want to do, it's 99 plus 25 is our, is our sort of most popular standard plan for the Horizon a month. How much is the device itself? The $600 if you buy it outright. Oh, wow. Do you have to buy it outright to use it? No. Uh, you can pay 25 a month for a two-year period. So the Horizon is the phone, phone or is the glasses? It's the phone and glasses. Okay. If you don't need the phone, you've got a smartphone? Uh, the, the, it is designed to be a paired unit. Uh, the glasses will only work with the Horizon control phone that we provide. Yeah, so you provide the glasses and the phone. That's correct. But if you're like me and forget your glasses, you use your phone 175%. Yeah, and you know, honestly, most people are using Ira. you know, 60, 70% of the, of the calls are phone only. Uh, and a lot of people have picked up pouches and things of that sort to make the phone hands-free so that um, they could uh, use that. No, not at this point. Because yeah, I, I, I keep, on, to be honest with you, I keep asking that internally, saying, you know, guys, we really should do that um, because some people don't need the glasses. They simply want the, they don't have a smartphone and they really want, or, they, or maybe they do and they don't like, like putting apps on it. Yeah, so they would love to have a single device that's just an IRA control. I hope we'll get there. I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> We don't know. Uh, that's why we haven't announced for sure what that is yet. We have a we have a new CEO that will be here tonight. If you anybody who's an Ira Explorer or if you've downloaded the app, you're anybody's welcome. Um, you can come meet him. Mike Randall is his name. Um, Mike uh, came in June, early June, and has already I think been you know making some dramatic changes. And one of those was, look guys, um, we need to move. As he put it, we need to move the paywall back. Um, meaning we need to give people opportunities to use IRA for free. And yet, for people who know they need more minutes, sure, we'll have a pay plan to make sure you are assured of having the minutes you need. Um, but for others who need an occasional uh, access to IRA, uh, we want to offer a free tier. And so we're looking at how, what that will look like. We want to make it as non-confusing as possible, but also recognize that we do need to pay our agents, and so we do need to have a model that kind of works for both uh, individuals for free, but also 
making sure that we're, we're able to come up with a model that is able to cover our agent costs as well. <laughs> Sustainability, yeah. So, you know, what, the thing we've said is we know that it'll be multiple calls a day. I mean, it might be two calls a day, but it'll be multiple calls a day and some number of minutes a month as a, you know, um, a reasonable limit for making sure that, you know, we're not having people call up and then sit on IRA for 24 hours. <laughs> Uh, the Riverside Lounge, which I have actually not been, I, I maybe falsely assumed that would be in the Riverside Hotel. I don't know for sure. <laughs> so um, somebody may need to tell me where it is, but it seems like that's where it should be. <laughs> yeah, it may be. Call, call. Actually, that's serious. Call an IRA agent. The agents for sure will know. And that's a good way to make sure you know you're in because we'll, we'll, you know, we want to make sure people have downloaded the app and are using it. Six o'clock to 8.30. So yeah, it's a drop in anytime during that time. Just come and, come and grab a drink and food on us and say hello to Suman will be there. Mike Randall will be there. A bunch of others from the IRA team uh, will be there as well. And obviously love to, love to meet our old and new explorers, uh, veteran and new, I should say. Correct. Or you can download an app to your smartphone? Correct. Okay, gotcha. Thanks. Yeah, you're not dense at all. I didn't explain it well. Uh, so, yeah, so Ira, it can be downloaded, used on your own Android or iPhone uh, smartphone. And then uh, the alternative is to uh, add, get an account and then add the Horizon phone glass to it as an option. And you know, one of the things we've talked about with uh, going back to older adults is what kinds of things would be helpful, recognizing that what likely is going to happen is that, you know, some large percent of the time, individuals are probably going to be using that device in home to support home-based tasks. Um, and so what kind of device might be beneficial? Are there some things we should be adding to that, like a mount if they're going to use a phone so they can kind of keep the camera stationary, maybe pointed at... Uh, you know, if they're doing food prep or uh, a craft of some sort, so the, f the phone camera's pointed in that way, or perhaps the horizon glasses would be uh, of most use. We're playing around with that. We're talking to individuals, and again, largely this, we're talking about individuals new to vision loss or newer um, who don't have a lot of experience with um, the strategies and technologies that many of us in this room do. But any thoughts on that would certainly be welcome. The other thing that would be welcome is your guys' thoughts about where uh, support might come for individuals for, in two ways. One is, f yes, to have an IRA account, but maybe just as important to get some training. Um, because while IRA is pretty simple to use, it does require some steps to get there. Um, you to download the app if you're going to do that way. And even to make sure you've got, you know, you understand what a, what a phone and glass and plugging in cables. And it's not... It, it's trivial, but it's not trivial. If you know what I mean. If you're if you're not if you're new to it, it's not trivial. You know, uh, my my dad is uh, eighty. Gosh, what is he? Eighty seven. Uh, he'll be eighty seven in a couple of weeks, and uh, he has Parkinson's. So he doesn't communicate all that well, and. Um, he, he's sighted, but we, so we've got him some different things, uh, technologies to use. And my brothers came over once and it looked like he had put a screwdriver into 
I want to say the computer mouse. And so they say, so they're like, Dad, did you put a screwdriver in the computer mouse? And, and, and what he kind of said to them a little bit clear enough was, let's say I did. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Individu older individuals in technology, it can be fun. <laughs> so I think it's a story about that. My parents bought me a, 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 one of those uh, things with the stereo and the cassette thing two years ago or many years ago now. And so my father, of course, has to teach me how to use these things because he has to teach me. <laughs> so he couldn't figure out why he couldn't get the cassette to play. So I turned it over and played just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Daily living instructors and O and M instructors out there mm -hmm. have know how to use it, right. and uh, and then maybe inculcate them with the idea that they ought to, you know, give uh, some minimal instruction as part of what they do in terms of the possibilities that Ira can you know, allow them to have. Because if if they, you know, they're the people on the ground that, you know, especially the, you know, recent vision loss folks are going to listen to because they're the only ones that they really get to talk to, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So... And probably at some point we need to think about setting up a program for people, older people who need the glasses and the phone because they're not all going to be able to afford to pay, you know, for all that either. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that I mean the free tier will help with some of that, um, and depending on what we do, are able to do with the hardware, that will likely depend as well. <coughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and there there we're we're certainly going to look for some ways to try to find other sources to cover. Um, one of my Jeff alluded to uh, government relations, and one of my tasks for IRA, really my main task for IRA, is to is to try to work on policy solutions, to see if we can find some government support uh, to to do two things. One is to recognize that access to visual information and visual interpretation ought to be considered, if not a full-fledged right, certainly a uh, partial right for certain kinds of contexts like access to health information and access to employment-related information, things that are critical and key. Um, and then the second thing is how do we get programs to support um, putting services, IRA or others, frankly, into an individual's hands. Um, and that's you know, it's a lot of what I'm trying to trying to accomplish. Yep, that's a good suggestion, and we're starting to to reach out to that. And to, and to Jeff's point earlier, I think um, we we haven't always made it easy for community agencies um, like uh, Visions, for example, you know, that was in here earlier, uh, or ABVI to um, to use Ira, uh, and so we're trying we're 
we're trying to come up with strategies to say, look, we're just going to put IRA in your hands as, uh, as, a, as an agency for your trainers to know, to learn it, use it as you wish, um, and, you know, help, help your clients understand how it can be used. Um, one of the things we'd be very keen to, to do is to make sure that people who are in the employment market have access to the job seeker services of IRA uh, for pre preparing resumes and things of that sort. So and we're keen for that. But I think the thing is the same is true for older blind individuals as well. And, and it's those, it's those frontline staff that are going to be key as well as the centers where individuals might be going per perhaps sooner than they should, but in any case where they might be going for, for a support. Yeah. Sounds like one of the things we want to make sure that we do is is make it very easy for family members to understand that we we have actually thought through a lot of that security because of course it's true for anybody if they're going to use IRA or any of the other services um, they need to think about what how to handle confidential information. Now we do, you know, we do background checks, we pay our agents and we hold them to a, a strict confidentiality standard that they have to sign on. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's makes us different from perhaps a volunteer driven service where we've actually thought through that confidentiality. Uh, but you know, that's something that people need to know about family members need to know and think about and make sure, uh, that they've assessed or, uh, understand how, a service like IRA or any, any of the others uh, might be used by their loved one. Yeah, I know. I better let you get to your meeting. Jeff, thank you. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate the time. I'm going to hand you the microphone All right, back. Thank you very much. Uh, pretty soon we'll get him as a member. <laughs> Great, thank you. Okay, I'm going to briefly review the agenda and with one hand here, briefly. So, um, we have approval of 2018 business meeting minutes. We have treasurer's report. We have elections. We have a, uh, I believe, if, if, if John has it, um, a, a bylaws amendment. Uh, we have uh, just a brief update on uh, resolutions, and it won't take very long. And we have uh, a website update, uh, which will be brief. And we also have, if we have time, future thoughts on AAVL and any other business that one might choose, people might want to bring up. So let us go then to the minutes were sent out. Um, uh, from last year um, to all the members that I had on my list. I've been trying to be very vigilant about sending um, a lot of things out to the whole membership list because that's the most inclusive way that we keep you up to date on what's going on with the AVL. And if we're going to grow and if we're going to prosper, 
then it's got to be not just a board thing, it's got to be a membership thing. So that's why I've been trying to, you know, be good about doing that. Um, so if, unless there's an objection, I would propose, I would entertain a motion since they were sent out to approve the minutes. Is there a second? There's a motion. Okay, the motion was by Gene. The second was by John, I think. And is there any discussion? Does anyone have any changes they believe need to be made to the minutes? Hearing none, all those in favor of approval of the minutes for the 2018 business meeting say aye. aye. All opposed? Abstentions? Okay, that motion is carried. Okay, treasurer's report. Do you happen? We did send it out. Um, I don't know if you have it with you. Uh, okay, would folks like her to go over it quickly? Pardon me? Would folks like uh, Kathy to go over the treasurer's report quickly? Yes or no? Yeah, I sent it out too. Um, Yeah, I think I sent it out to the entire membership, but I'm not sure. Yes, thank you, uh, Nanetta. If, if you're, in fact, if you talk at all, uh, in case Nanetta wants to have it down in the minutes, just identify yourself. Why don't you go ahead and go through it, since may, not everybody may have uh, received it. Let's just do totals unless someone really has starting a... Starting balance, and now this is a yearly report. The starting balance from um, July 1st, 2018 was $8,003.27. $8,003.27. We brought in revenue of $1,127. We have some more raffle money to collect. I know I have probably fifty dollars at least. Be a lot more than, than that, yeah. I wanted to acknowledge those checks that got to me on the, la on the very day that I made the deposit. And the other thing that did not get in there because we haven't gotten the bill yet will be our bill for our website, which will be substantial. But I think it's had to be done. We believe so. Uh, 
one of the other people wants me to reach out to her um, afterwards, but I think every everybody paid as far as I can tell. To the to the best of my ability. <laughs> and if one of our guests didn't pay, she said she would send us money, so we'll, we'll get. I don't think we'll be any, out any money, ultimately. And poor Mark, Mark paid. He didn't get to eat, right? And he didn't even eat, and he was supposed to be comped. But we'll worry about that later. Yes, if he, because I, I requested, I mean, I told Janet to comp his ticket, so if he did pay, then we should reimburse uh, him. So. Okay, so... Uh, is there a motion to uh, have the treasurer's report filed? So it was Carolyn and John? Doug, sorry. Uh, Carolyn and Doug for the motion and the second. Is there discussion? All those in favor say aye. aye. All opposed? Abstentions? Okay, motion is carried. Okay, we go on to elections. This year our board members are up. Um, we have Carolyn Burley, we have Jean Mann, we have Peggy Garrett, and they've all agreed to run, and uh, Sandy Spalletta, who is uh, termed out, so she cannot run and is not here, but who is, by the way, going to um, remain active in helping with the website, and I'm really appreciative of that. Um, uh, so... Uh, we and we so we do have a nominee, uh, or uh, from the nominating committee of Doug Powell, uh, for her place. So we can do one of two things: we can go separately, or we can which uh, or we can do it as a slate. Uh, what is the folks want to do? Do we do one at a time? Okay, Sharon, there's a motion. I'm a member, but... <laughs> That's all right. There's a, you're a member. Uh, is there a second for that motion? Okay, there's a motion and a second that we accept the nominee, nominating committee's slate for our bo four board positions. Yes, Sharon was the... All those, <laughs> all those in favor say aye. aye. All opposed? Abstentions? Okay, we have an, uh, four board people. Three for another term, and, and uh, Doug, congratulations on your addition to the board. Okay. Two years. Next year, our officers are up. So, huh, well, let's see. Mary Ellen is uh, vice president, and uh, Nineta is the secretary, and our treasurer, of course, is Kathy. And I think I have them all. No, we have a first vice president too, and a second. Just one, yeah, okay. And John Huffman, of course, is our past president, media past president. What is, uh, how many terms 
Uh, I think three, but I'll have to check. It's been a while since I've... Have you looked at the bylaws recently on that, John? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least you know the number. That's pretty good. Okay. Well, we'll you know, we won't have to worry about that right now. So, uh, but I know it's at least two. If I didn't have to take notes, I could look it up now. That's okay. Um, so, and I really want to say that this board that I have worked with as a newbie, because um, I just came in the organization about three years ago and served on the board for a couple of years, and then and so this board has been really fantastic and has really, um, you know, helped mightily in terms of our growth, which has been, in my view, tremendous from 24 to like, I think we're now up to like 37, I think. 40. 40. Whoa. Well, actually, I got two or three new members today. Wow. Well, I'm going to tell you what I did. One did. I know one already did. So we we're we're doing well, and and I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So we have That's great. I mean, you know, we're. <laughs> yeah, we could get another vote next year if we really work on this. Okay. So uh, I don't know, John. Do you have the? Bylaws amendment on the uh, uh, newspaper or not? Are you able to? Well, <laughs> I know there's so much happening. I'm not, you know. And that is going to look. You can look up both of those. I think, I think what we're going to end up doing is just changing four to two, in terms of the required number of newsletters. So that would be the proposed bylaw change. Would yes, that's thank you, Nanetta. Yes. So um, the motion before us which I guess takes a second if somebody 
chooses to second it would be to change the number of required newsletters from four per year from four to two. So John has made that motion. Do we have a second? Okay. That was Carolyn. All right. Uh, we can. You're you're looking up the. Are you, you're writing notes. Okay. Okay. That's more important. No, I know you can't. I know you can't. Okay. So, is there discussion on the bylaw change? Yes, exclusively. Just email, as far as I know. Then. Yeah, no, I totally agree it should be. If you're giving them the option of large print, let's keep it that way because we... As long as... Did you appoint a committee to go along with that editors? I don't think we've ever had... I mean, I don't know. Oh, does it? Public relations or public committee, which includes the editor, one person. No, I have not appointed such a committee. But yes, I will. I will definitely follow the bylaws. <laughs> Mary Ellen is the editor. There's one that's call multiplier that's only like twelve dollars a month. Yeah, call multiplier. Yeah, our chapter uses it. Yeah, no, it is a, a real thought, and I think we'll we'll talk about it at our next board meeting. And if anybody wants to be on the committee with Mary Ellen, uh, let me know before the end of convention or email me afterward. Thank you very much, Diana. So, one of them that would be an email user, then wouldn't they be able to print out a large print copy and not cost us anything? I can mail out. Yeah. I was just trying to. So we can take. We can. We can uh, ask any members if they want large print. Okay. So Carolyn and Jean and who's the third? No, we have to have a fourth. She is. She doesn't count, I guess. We'll come up with a third. We'll. We'll. Okay. Well, we won't worry about that. We'll come up with the final committee after the convention is over. So. 
Um, and I and I'm gonna. In fact, I'm gonna make a note myself so that I remember. I was gonna say Okay, so we have a motion. Is there discussion on the motion? Let's get back to the. We're going off on a tangent here. Hearing none, all those in favor of the bylaw change say aye. We'll do a voice vote first. All opposed? Abstentions? Okay, the motion is clearly carried. Okay. Uh, website update. Um, it's just brief. I sent out the website, uh, the URL to everyone. I hope that you will go on it. Sandy has already gotten a lot of information put up. Um, if you have more uh, articles or information or whatever that you'd like to see, uh, send it to either her or me. Um, and uh, either Sandy will put it up or Annette can. It doesn't. It it's very it doesn't take much time for Annette to to just upload information so we want to make it uh, I, I've also informed um, Kelly so that after convention Kelly um, Gask so that after convention she can make sure that uh, that we are s somehow linked into the information is linked to, to ACB uh, but we are using our own, uh, we're, we're not on their server, it's our own server, so it's, we don't, we're not going to have the issues that ACB has had, hopefully. Um, so that is really that. Any questions about that? Okay. Um, resolutions. This is just kind of an update. Uh, we, I, I, I was going to do a resolution on the microbus uh, methodology and how helpful it can be for, um, especially for seniors with vision loss. Uh, but um, Ron and their committee asked, wanted to do a more broadly based resolution about new transportation technologies. I actually haven't read it yet. Uh, but it does include the microbus as part of it, so I'm not. We're not following. We're not going to pursue doing a specific resolution only to microbus. Um, with respect to uh, funding for OIB, um, it was decided uh, for several reasons. Number one, we've done an OIB funding in the last like two, three years ago. Um, we may, if we have time to do it, uh, Paul Edwards, who is a member, I believe, or was one, I forget whether he joined or not, he was thinking about it. I think so, I think so too. Um, he had one from Florida that urged states, urged affiliates to seek state funding because their feeling is there's a lot more likelihood at this point in time of getting some states to provide supplemental dollars than there is for us to get much, an increase in federal funding. So I'm hoping that he will have that one, and my goal is to 
um, have that presented on the floor. Um, what do people think about that uh, as an idea? In, in, instead of reiterating the position we've already taken, which is that we want more OIB funding. Yeah, we we really didn't feel those two issues should be lumped together for a variety of reasons. Um, only one of which was that we already have an OIB funding resolution that's pretty recent, and we're working on it every year. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we could, we certainly could, although I think the feeling is, you know, we don't need another OIB funding resolution, although I do agree with respect to the fact that we ought to seek the possibility of making it a legislative imperative um, if there's any chance of us getting anything. Um, but I do think that Paul makes a good point at this point in time with Congress doing so little that it really may be better to, you know, use our political capital more locally and see if we can get some legislatures like New York that does supplement their program um, to go, that we should go in that direction. Okay, so we will see you at the mixer tomorrow, the two of you. And um, are we all ready? Is there anything we need to do to... No, I think we're all ready. Oh, great. All right, well, thank you both. And um, that's all I have on resolutions. If there's any more discussion, feel free to uh, make the point. Is AAB submitting a resolution? The, the task... No, that was since... Since the resolution is mainly dealing with the under 55, um, it's really uh, going to be the task force that that goes along with that. Um, yeah, so, the, 
Yeah, we could certainly, we could endorse the one that Paul brought up, which is um, on, uh, you know, focus on the states, yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, is there? Does anyone want to make a motion to endorse the a resolution on focusing on increasing state funding for, or getting any state funding for that matter? Uh, okay. So there is a motion. And with Sharon, is there a second? Okay, and Dan Sipple seconds. Any discussion? All in favor say aye. All opposed? Yeah, we're not dropping it because, like I said, we already have a, a resolution. I think it was two years ago that we did it. Um, he, I don't, I think it's recently, um, Ian, it was a floor, it was passed in Florida, I think within the last year or two. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a resolution we'll be doing at this national convention. I'm, uh, if, assuming he has it, and I'm, uh, he said he was going to bring it, and so I'm hoping that he, that he has it, or can get it. Sometimes you can get it through his computer files. Oh, yeah. I'll talk to him about it tonight. Yes, we will do that one on the under 55 folks. Yeah. Okay, so um, I, my last item is just since we have, since this is a general membership meeting, I want to hear from anyone, especially non-board members, but not just, who might want to you know, put forth any ideas that they think the board should be considering in terms of what AAVL should be doing that we're not. Jeff, are we, are we getting in touch with the Vision to Serve Alliance, that, you know, that whole, um, that program that, you know, that you talked about this morning that's focusing on OIV? No, we're not, but now that, that AAVL, that ACV is a member. Yeah. Yeah. And we do have John. What's what's the advisory council that I just heard about today that you're on? That um, John, John left. Oh, okay. He's behind you. He's back. Oh. <laughs> okay. So John, tell us you're on an advisory council. That uh, correct? Yeah, and basically. Uh, the grant that uh, is being administered uh, 
basically a five or six year grant and there are provisions for three face-to-face uh, -face, uh, committee meetings. Um, the first one was in uh, uh, spring summer of uh, 2016. The next one is coming up later this month. And then uh, there will be a third one as the grant draws to a close. So maybe you can report on that for the newsletter so that people can get an idea of what that experience was after the next meeting, not not now, but I mean after you. Yeah. Okay. Any other discussion on on what we should be doing? Okay, hearing none. Is there any other business anybody wants to bring before the body? Yeah, let's uh Yeah, we can approve it at the board meeting. Um and I'll send out a few dates when I get back and then we can get Yeah, I think that's the best way. All right, is there a motion to adjourn? Oh, Yes, yes, I have more raffle tickets if anybody wants to buy them. $175 and $50 are the prizes and, uh, or, or wants to sell them. You can take some to sell and bring them to the mixer tomorrow when we draw. So they're six for five, $1 a piece and six for five. That's right. So let's adjourn the meeting, and then we can. Uh, we have a motion to adjourn, and I can give tickets out if people want any. Okay. And Doug seconded. All those in favor, say aye. All opposed. Thank you very much. We are adjourned until next year in Schaumburg.